0: Well, once again, welcome. Uh, what a cool opportunity we have this morning, as was mentioned earlier, to rejoice and to celebrate with, uh, with our graduates and with their families. You know, this is a time where, where we can recognize that for each of you, uh, what lies ahead may be a very different season of life than the one that you've lived up to this point. Perhaps you are being called into a different reality than than what you've known. Maybe it's a new location. Maybe it's a a new school. Maybe it's a new group of friends, the pursuit of a vocation. Or maybe it's just the reality that you're done with high school. I mean, how awesome is that, right? As well for you parents of the graduates, this is a new season for you and a journey for you as well. But in each of these instances and seasons of our lives, Jesus is there calling to all of us to follow him in all of these areas and seasons. Well, this morning, uh, I want to speak to everyone here. Graduates, my hope is that you will hear within this message something that is particularly relevant to this next chapter of your life as well. We're in the midst of a series today that we have been in over the last month or so, and it's called All Dressed Up. And in this we've been focused on Ephesians 6 and this image that Paul gives us within this passage of the world. new batteries for this by chance? All right. So Paul gives us this image of a wardrobe that you and I are are called to put on. Uh, And he uses an image of a soldier and various articles of armor that a soldier would use or wear in battle. And, uh, and in this, it reminds us that we are in need of similar protection of that which a soldier would, would put on in the battle that we face every day of our lives. Bruce read the passage a little bit earlier from Ephesians 6, uh, and I want to take us to the, the very first uh, part of that uh, verse, which says this. Paul says, take the helmet of salvation. Now as Paul is using this image of the helmet of salvation, uh, one of the immediate pictures that may come to the mind of the reader is that of the prophetic image uh, in Isaiah 59 and is the picture of the divine warrior, the Messiah. And uh, we've looked at this picture passage over the course of this series a few times but this term the helmet of salvation uh, is what Isaiah says here will adorn the Messiah as God comes in the form of the Messiah says that he will be wearing he will put on righteousness as, as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. And so this imagery that we see here in this verse, it has roots in the Old Testament. And and it is an image that he uses not just here, uh, but Paul actually uses this image elsewhere in a letter that he wrote to the church in Thessalonica. And he says, uh, he calls the church to put on the hope of salvation as a helmet. Now, here in, in Ephesians... Paul just says, take the helmet of salvation. He doesn't say take the, the hope of, of salvation as a helmet. He says, take the helmet of salvation. And the word take here, it literally means to welcome or to receive. And so what Paul is saying here, when he says, take the helmet of salvation, he's saying to receive or welcome the helmet of salvation. Now the reason I mention that, the reason I point to the passage in Isaiah 59 that we've looked at already in this image of the Messiah coming, of God looking around and saying that He's going he's to come in the form of the Messiah. And He'll be wearing the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. The reason that we point to any of that is because I think that it is a great reminder for all of us that the suit that we're called to put on is not a suit of our own. This is, as the passage says, the armor of God. It is not the armor of Brian. It is not the armor of Kirby. It is not the armor of George. It is not the armor of Katie. This is the armor of God. This is not something that we can manufacture or build ourselves. It is available to us through God. It is His armor. It is available to us through uh, from god through christ and he is the true source of our protection the true source of our strength the only way that we will stand in this battle that we are in is by the strength of god and so paul says take the helmet of salvation now this morning i want to break apart a little bit this phrase helmet of salvation we've kind of done this over the course of this series uh, but first, I want to look at salvation. The word here for salvation that Paul uses is soterios. And and what this word points to, the definition of this word, it points to that of being saved or being delivered or the idea of bringing rescue. And, and this and other words throughout uh, Scripture that get translated into the term saved or salvation Uh, It it points to the ways in which God rescues, delivers, or redeems His people. Salvation is a central theme of the Bible. It is the very heart of the Gospel. Of how a loving God has provided a, a means of rescue... For humanity, his children who who have been separated from him by the ravages of sin. Now, most of the time, when Christians nowadays use the term salvation or to be saved, they're pointing specifically to God's work in their own heart and life. They're looking backwards, so to speak, and they're saying, you know, when I was saved, you know, when I was 13, I was saved or when i became a christian i was saved for instance i can point back in my own life how in july of 2003 which is quite possibly the year that some of you graduates were born which makes me feel like bruce old and explain some of the gray in my beard right but i can point backward in my own life, to July of 2003, how in the fellowship hall of this church, where we'll enjoy cupcakes later, I was saved. Where I put my faith in Christ, and, the, and, and, and God did a work of, 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 of salvation. By His grace, salvation came into my life. But see, God's salvation is much bigger than what I can than just what I can look backwards at in my own life because there's also a dynamic within this term uh, uh, for for salvation and for being saved in Scripture and the way that it is used that, that points not just backwards but also points to something that is ongoing and something that is yet to come. It is this present and future reality of God's saving work and His salvation. Through Jesus' death on the cross, God not only brought the possibility of eternal salvation as we put our trust in Him, that we are delivered from death to life, but there is also in Scripture this tense where we see this word being used pointing to this ongoing salvation of God. Where we, as we have put our trust in Jesus and follow Him, are being transformed and being sanctified and being rescued from and delivered from the power of sin in our lives. In addition to this, there's also this, this pointing to a future salvation. You know where, where, where it is pointing to this hope that we have for the fullness of God's salvation that is still yet to come, the fullness of His rescue that is still yet to come, whereas this glorious future that we have to look forward to with great hope, where every tear is going to be wiped away and there will be no more sickness and there will be no more mourning, no more pain, and healed and whole, we will together worship our God who saved us for eternity and so that is the looking forward to the fullness of God's salvation and we see throughout scripture these different ways that this term is being used for salvation now as we turn our attention to the helmet because paul says take on the helmet of salvation he doesn't just say take on Salvation, He says, take on the helmet of salvation. And so as we turn our attention to the helmet, it's possible that we have a number of different images that come to our mind. Uh, In modern times, there are a variety of different uh, types of headgear that we could be talking about when we use the term helmet. For instance, I I brought some this morning. I know that's a surprise to you guys. But when we say the term helmet, uh, we could be talking about something like this. This is a batting helmet. Our son Ethan, he's playing baseball and he saved up his money. And when he started playing, he bought himself a batting helmet. Okay, and so thankfully his head's a little bit smaller than mine. But when he goes up to bat, you know, this protects him from taking a, a, a ball to the side of the head, right? And so this, this helmet, it serves a purpose of protecting his head when he is playing baseball. Now, when we say the word helmet, for some of us, maybe the first thing that comes to mind is that of a football helmet. Um, now, the football helmet uh, is, is obviously not a modern example of it. However, a football helmet uh, it serves multiple purposes. One, it protects your head uh, against collisions. Uh, and it protects your face because a lot of them nowadays, you know, these are one of the old style, but this, uh, nowadays has a face guard, right? So it protect you there. But it also has the logo of your team on it, right? So you know who's on your team, all right? So the football helmet serves multiple purposes. Now, there are other helmets as well, um, whether it be a skateboard or a bicycle helmet. You could wear that, and that keeps your head uh, protected from the pavement, or maybe even a construction helmet, a hard hat. You wear this on the job site, and that protects you against taking a two-by-four to the head, right? Or from something falling from above. This is also very helpful if you want to dress up like one of the village people. Like that, it, it can be helpful to you if that's something you want to do one year so all of these helmets they have these different ways that they can be used now paul is pointing to a a specific helmet that was used at that time by the roman uh soldiers and it was called a galea and uh it looked not exactly like this um but it it was i guess similar okay and so most of these helmets uh, they would have been made out of of metal and if I had a a larger budget for uh, our sermons I would have got one out of metal as well but this will have to do so so these would have made been made out of bronze or out of uh, iron and um, these kind of varied a little bit in design from what I understand. Uh, there wasn't mass manufacturing at the time. Nobody was cranking these out on an assembly line. And so each of them would have been a little bit different. And uh, they, they, some of them would have been more ornate than others, uh, but these had very specific functions as you put the helmet on it would protect you in a variety of ways for one you would have it had these cheek guards right and they would have probably been a little bit bigger in an actual roman soldier's helmet but these cheek guards would have protected you against blows against the side of the face and back here in the back this would have kind of protected your neck uh, from any blows from a sword. Uh, the, the soldier's uh, helmet also in the first century, from what I understand, had a brow ridge. So kind of similar to what's going on with a batting helmet or a hard hat. The, they would have had a little bit of a brow ridge here or something like this that would have helped to guard their eyes and help protect their eyes from any blows to the face there as well. Now, in addition to this, the, uh, the soldier's helmet had what is called a crest, uh, and there's some speculation that these might not have been worn when they t- would have taken them into battle, I can't imagine why, um, but, uh, but th- this would have served a-, a couple of purposes. One, it was usually feathers or horsehair that would have been in here, and sometimes it would have been dyed, uh, but this would have either been worn this way or it would have actually uh, been worn kind of to the side as well. And this would signify uh, maybe the rank of a soldier uh, or also the army that they belong to. If you're in battle and you see the red feathers on top, you know not to, to you know, hit them with the sword. You're looking for the guy with the yellow feathers or something, I don't, I, you know, I don't know what how that worked. but uh, But then also... Uh, the, the other purpose of this is the crest would serve to give the soldier a psychological advantage. I don't get it. But apparently, this would make a soldier look more imposing, uh, they would seem taller to the enemy that they were facing and it wasn't just the Romans but other armies did this as well and so they would seem taller to their opponent and it would give them a psychological advantage I still don't understand how this gives you any psychological advantage whatsoever uh, but that's what uh, the the crest would be used for on a helmet now the most uh, there's, there's two things that this helmet was used for okay one to identify what team you're on. Same thing with a football helmet, right? But but primarily, and this is the same as as any of the helmets that we put on nowadays, the reason for putting a helmet on is to protect the soldier against any of the enemy's attacks on their head. You know, the head is not only the command center uh, of the body, but it is also extremely sensitive to injury. And any of you who have dealt with uh, migraines or headaches of any sort or have had any kind of head injury, you can attest to that. It is something that is incapacitating at times. Uh, A a couple of years back, I was on a trip to Lithuania uh, through Christian FM and I was helping uh, with a radio station there. And while I was there, I visited a local pastor and the church there. And they were kind of, uh, and I was walking into the church building at one point during my stay there, and they had this door to get into a certain part of the the, the building that kind of came in from the outside, and the building was made out of stone, and this this door, uh, for some reason, was smaller than a normal door. It wasn't like a, you know, seven-foot door uh, where only uh, Daniel Pastor and Dean have to duck when they go through, uh, right? But it was it was a door that was a little bit smaller, so even normal people had to, to door, uh, not that they're not normal. <laughs> so, just tried to get that back when it was, yeah. um, that normal height people uh, had to, to duck to go through. So, Anyway, I'm coming into this doorway, and uh, and as I was coming into this doorway, apparently I didn't duck enough as I was going through, and I went full speed through the doorway and ran the crown of my head right on the stone edge of the doorway, and it just nailed me right here, and I was stunned by it. I mean, it just, like, the pain reverberated throughout my body, and, and I was, I mean it was one of those things that even though I didn't want to admit how bad it hurt, I was just like grimacing. And it hurt for days and days. I could feel how sensitive the top of my head was and how this, 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 you know, this injury was there. Now, what I would not have given at that moment for something like this on top of my head, I mean, it would have been kind of it's interesting to wear this, you know, to visit a, a, you know, somebody at their church, but, um, but what I would not have given to have some kind of protection for my head in that moment. You know, a soldier going into battle, if they went in without their helmet, they would have been instantly exposed to an injury like that. An injury that would have been either debilitating or deadly. And so leaving any piece of armor off when you went into battle would have been dangerous. But to go into battle without a helmet on would have been a fatal mistake. It was unthinkable. So Paul gives us this this great picture here of, of, of what we're to do. He says, you know, to take this helmet of salvation... But what does that really mean when he says to take the helmet of salvation? We've looked at salvation, we've looked at the helmet, but what does it really mean? How do we put on the helmet of salvation? And what exactly is it when you put those things together? Well, most commentators who have studied this passage, they point to how the helmet of salvation is really pointing to the assurance that we have or the standing that we have in Christ. Uh, 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 of how as we have, you know, it, this is not necessarily the... Uh, that we are to take on God's salvation for the first time and put our faith in Him, though that is always the call that we see in Scripture. But rather, because Paul is writing this letter to those who have already put their faith in Christ, and he's writing this letter to the church, it is this call more specifically to hold on to the assurance and the confidence of the salvation that we have from God as followers of Christ. See, the enemy would prefer you and I to believe that we're on shaky ground. That the cross does not have the final word. That God's grace isn't big enough for you and I. You know, that the rug is just going to be pulled out from under us the next time that we mess up. But that's not true. And so we need to rest in the assurance of God's salvation in our life. That we are safe in His arms. That as we have put our faith and our trust in Him, that we are hidden in Him and nothing can separate us from His love. We are secure in Him. And that's a confidence that we can have and a confidence that, that Paul is calling us to take on. Now that is easier said than done at times. And the fact that Paul tells us that we need to take this on, it means that it's not always automatic. So how do we do this? What does it look like? What does it look like to to take on this assurance? Well, the fact that the piece of armor that Paul gives us here has to do with covering and protecting the head, I think the clear implication here is that we need to stand against the enemy in the, the area of our minds. See, one of the areas, the first places that the the enemy will come at us is in the battlefield of our mind. It is the place that in our lives, things often first go sideways for us, is in our thought life and in the area of our minds. And so Paul says, cover yourself. Now, I said earlier that my hope was to speak to the graduates in some of what I'm sharing this morning. And so here's where I really want to speak to you specifically. I want to speak to the five of you guys specifically. And this is, that doesn't let anybody else off the hook. This is for all of us, including myself. But this, I want to say this specifically to each of you guys. Here's my charge to you. Take care of your mind. Take care of your mind. Take care of your mind. You've used your minds to guide you through all of your schoolwork, all of the reading, all of the homework, all of the tests, all of the studies, all of the decisions of what you're going to do next. You've used your mind along with a lot of help from your parents and family and friends and teachers. You've used your mind to get you to where you are right now. As you continue from this place, my charge to you, Take care of your mind. Now, I want to give you three ways to specifically focus on this. First is this. Guard your mind. Guard it. Guard your mind. Be, Be careful of what goes into your mind. You know, if you'll pardon the pun, be mindful of what goes into your mind. See, the enemy wants nothing more than to get you to believe something that is contrary to the gospel. To get you to buy into a false narrative. The enemy wants nothing more than to get you to to believe that you are on shaky ground. That at any time, the rug's just going to be pulled out from under you. The enemy wants you to to doubt your standing in Christ. Christ. You know, to to get you to believe that God is not good, that that He's just some cosmic killjoy who wants you to be miserable in life, but nothing is further from the truth. Guard your mind. Don't allow your mind to be the battlefield that is captured by the enemy. Paul in 2 Corinthians he says that, that, that in this battle that we are in, that we are to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ take every thought captive he says because what happens here eventually ends up in your heart and eventually ends up being lived out in your life and he and and so he says take it take it captive and make it obedient to Christ and so the question is what are you allowing in here does it line up with what you know is true in and through Christ. You know, we used this a few weeks ago. And, and have used it from time to time. And I, I think it's such a great thing to come back to again and again. And that's these different paradigms that we have for spiritual transformation. And there's one where we're intentional about it and one we're, where we're unintentional. And when we're unintentional, we just allow ourselves to be shaped by the world around us and all of the things that happen to us. And and we just take in everything that, that in the media or, or whatever and we don't filter it whatsoever. And so we're shaped by that. But there's the other side of that where we're intentional about what we allow to to, to rest in our mind and what we allow to shape us in life. And so on one side, when we're unintentional about it, we see that there are these false narratives that the culture and just whatever, whoever will tell us about what is valuable, and what is right, and what is good, and what is true. And then on the other side, we have the truth of God. And so we have to choose to filter the things that are coming into our mind and say, does it line up with what I know to be true? Does it line up with what I know that God's word tells me about what is right? And so, you know, we have to guard what goes into our mind. There's an old computer science term it's GIGO, G I G O. And what it stands for is garbage in, garbage out. And what it means is if you put bad data in, you're going to get bad results out. What you put in affects what comes out. And it's the same thing in our lives. You know, if you put mental garbage into your mind, you're going to get garbage out of your life. Proverbs 15, 14, the New Living says this, a wise person is hungry for knowledge while the fool feeds on trash. Now that might be a really good verse for all of us to put on a post-it note next to our computer or on our phone or on our TV or whatever the case is. You know, guard your mind. Be careful about what you put into your mind. Secondly, renew your mind. Renew your mind. Romans 12.2, Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed. Transformed. By the renewing of your mind. you know Taking care of your mind well isn't just about staying away from the wrong things. It's not just about building a wall to keep the bad things out of your life. We should do that. We should guard and and, and care for and stay away from the wrong things. But it also means filling our minds with the right things. With the truth of Scripture. Fill your mind with beautiful things. In Philippians 4, Paul says this in verse 8. He says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. He says, think about what is true. Think about what is noble, what is lovely, what is pure. And I would say, use that in your life. Constantly draw your minds to the things that are excellent and praiseworthy and pure and true. Let your mind rest on those things. Let that be what fills your mind. And this is why a habit of, of, of reading on a daily basis, of memorizing Scripture, uh, uh, of, of you know, meditating on God's Word, or, or of reading good books is so healthy. And so if you guys aren't doing that already, I would encourage you, do that. Get, make that a practice in your life. Like Take that on daily and start that practice now because it's going to take you in, in, to really good places as you move forward. And so I would just say, let your mind fix on the right things and the, the things of God. Isaiah 26, verse 3, it says, You keep Him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because He trusts in you. It says keep your mind on the things of God and and, and, and and you can have this peace. That God has this peace that is available to you. Listen, I know this world is unsettling. I know this last year, we look back and it's just been chaotic. It's been tough. It's been challenging. And it has just... You know, we're ripe for, for worry and 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 the world is full of anxiety. I mean generation after generation it's coming on earlier and earlier. Where kids nowadays in third grade are just dealing with anxi- anxiety and worry and they're gripped by fear. And this is what I w- would say to you is don't allow the enemy to lead you down those paths. Don't allow the enemy to lead you down as paths. Keep your mind focused on God and steadfast on Him. Remind yourselves of the truth of the gospel. Remind yourself daily that the God who loves you is the creator of this universe. He's the one who created humans out of dust. He's the one who spoke and the world was formed. And this is the same God who knows every fiber of your being and who loves you deeply. And it is the same God who though humanity turned our backs on Him, He went to the cross and He paid for every horrendous thing that you and I have done or will do. And and He did it so that we could find rest in Him. That we could find rescue from Him. And that we could be with Him in eternity. And so, put your mind on those things. Those truths. Let Let that be where your mind rests. And so, not only guard your mind, but renew your mind with the truth of Scripture. And lastly, I'll say this, and this has less to do with, with the helmet and the, kind of the guarding of the mind, and it has more to do with just using your mind to take ground for the kingdom. After all, Paul's talking about being in battle here, right? And so how do we take ground for the kingdom and using our minds? Well, my charge to you as graduates, as a congregation, as a people who are seeking to follow Christ, use your mind for His glory. Use your mind for His glory. You know, the human mind is one of the most incredible aspects of God's creation. I mean, the the fact that we can think the way that we can, the fact that we can solve problems the way that we can, The fact that we can dream the way that we can and imagine the things that we can, I mean, it is amazing. And when you think about the capacity of the mind, it is an amazing thing. Now, the cultural narrative at at, at times would seemingly have you to believe that Christians, those who put their faith in an unseen God, are just mindless simpletons, you know? It's just because it's we're we're putting our faith in something that we can't see, it it doesn't take a whole lot of mindfulness to do that. But nothing can be further from the truth. And, and, And and I would say this history and the present day, but history is littered with brilliant scientific and artistic. And minds and medical minds whose faith in Christ directed their lives and their work—you know—again, both in history and now. But I mean, to list them all, we don't have the time for. It. But think of some of these names: Galileo, Pascal, Augustine, George Washington Carver, a Tolstoy, Martin Luther King Jr., Louis Pasteur, C.S. Lewis, Bach, Rembrandt, Handel, Kanye West. Okay, maybe not Kanye. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I got carried away there. (laughs) But great minds. You know, great minds. And in their use of their mind, they made an impact on the world around them and the people around them. Here's the thing. Gray, Andrew, Hannah and Cammie, Ian, all of you guys are so different. You know, whether it's computers Uh, agricultural, uh, sports, business, sign language, I mean, digital media. How cool is that? You're all gifted in so many different ways and your minds are able to be used in some pretty incredible ways. You have an opportunity to use your mind, the one that God created you with, for His glory. So, So don't stop doing that. Never stop pursuing wisdom and knowledge of God. Be a lifelong learner of the things of God. Use your mind for His glory. Jesus, as He was quoting from the Shema in, uh, in Mark 12, He's asked about the, what the greatest commandments are. He says this, He says, Love the Lord your God, this is the first, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength you know he says use your mind to love the Lord glorify him with the way that you use your mind you know Paul he he tells us here in this passage that we're to take our stand against the enemy that we're to put on the full armor of God we're to receive everything that God has for us and, and allow that to be what, what helps us to stand, that we stand in His strength. And so we need to do that. We need to take or welcome, receive the helmet of salvation to, to, to rest in the assurance and the confidence that, that if, as we've put our faith and trust in Christ, that we're standing on solid ground and that there's nothing that can separate us from the love that we have in Christ Jesus. That we're on solid ground And so we need to rest in that assurance of His salvation, of His rescue for us. We also need to allow God to use and guard and renew our minds to transform us through that renewal, but to use and guard and renew our minds. So care well for your mind. Care well. Take care of it. And let your mind be used by God for His glory. you guys pray with me father we're so grateful for these five uh individuals for the families that we get to celebrate for the 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 opportunity to come before you this morning and just worship you and to, to look to you as the one who gives us everything we need the strength that we need to be able to stand in the face of the battle that we are in on a daily basis and so I thank you for this opportunity to do just that, to come to you and to look to how we might wrap our heads with uh, the, this assurance of the, 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 the rescue that comes through you, that we might uh, guard and and renew and seek to use our minds for your glory. Lord, I want to pray for, for each of the graduates this morning, and I would pray, God, that you would use them in, in ways that we can't even think of and can't even comprehend right now, but that we'll look back and we'll say, look what God has done. Look what God has done in each of their lives. We thank You for the gift that they are to us and to our congregation. And for the many lives that have been a part of, uh, of them getting to where they are, whether it be family, whether it be youth leaders, whether it be friends, Lord, whether it be their, their their parents, just whoever it is that is poured into that, we thank you for the blessing of that. And we would pray, God, that we could continue to, to have that call within our midst and within our congregation to be a people who are seeking to see you raise up young people for your glory. Lord, that you're seeking To remind them of how much you you love them. And for them to live from that love in a way that is reflective of who you are. So, God, thank you for that privilege. Thank you for that opportunity. I pray that we would not take that lightly, but, Lord, that we would, by your grace, continue to be a place that seeks for your glory to be revealed and the lives that you've given us to be a part of. We thank you for this morning. We pray your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to close in a song, so I'd you to stand.